0: This podcast is sponsored by BioFire. High-acuity patients require time-sensitive specialized care. As a critical care physician, you need rapid, reliable test results to make informed intervention decisions. The BioFire Film Array System utilizes a syndromic approach, simultaneously testing for different pathogens that can cause similar symptoms to deliver actionable results in about an hour. BioFire helps you quickly identify specific infectious agents, allowing you to begin targeted treatment sooner. Learn more about solutions from the leader in syndromic testing at BioFireDX.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ludwig Lin. Today, I will be speaking with Dr. Stephanie Taylor, MD, on the article, The Association Between Antibiotic Delay Intervals and Hospital Mortality Among Patients Treated in the Emergency Department for Suspected Sepsis, published in the May 2021 Critical Care Medicine. To access the full article, please visit ccmjournal.org. Dr. Taylor is an Associate Professor of Internal Medicine at Atrium Health in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I really appreciate her taking the time to speak on this very important topic that is very much on the mind of anybody taking care of sepsis patients. Welcome, Dr. Taylor. And just to get logistics out of the way, do you have any disclosures to report? I do not. Great, thank you. Well, SCCM was very, very excited about having this article be published. Obviously, the topic of timely antibiotic administration and its impact on controlling sepsis ties very closely with the Sepsis surviving sepsis campaign. Dr. Taylor, if we could just start out broadly and talk about, just kind of review for all of the listeners why this is such an important topic. What is the significance of timely antibiotic administration for septic patients?
2: Sure. Uh, I think that obviously antibiotic timing targets in sepsis has become a a really polarized topic. There's some really strong opinions on both sides. But I I, want to start by saying that I do think that regardless of where people stand on the issue, we all have the same goal to provide life-saving treatment for patients with sepsis. And we all agree that increased sepsis awareness and attention to treatment times has improved sepsis mortality over the past several decades but sort of the controversial part that remains is how long do you really have to give the antibiotics is there truly a golden hour or maybe you can wait until the silver hour or the bronze hour and this is really important to know because sepsis diagnosis is is challenging it takes time to gather the the diagnostic information needed to distinguish infectious versus non-infectious causes of illness so we felt like that question was still unanswered. So that's why we did this study of patients in our own healthcare system to try to learn more about uh, really more details about the association of antibiotic delays and mortality among patients with suspected sepsis.
1: You had a huge number of patients that you managed to study. If you could tell us briefly about your demographics, that'd be great.
2: Yeah, we... I. I'm a researcher at Atrium Health, which is a large integrated healthcare system. And actually, we just recently integrated with Wake Forest Baptist Health as well. So our systems become larger and some good academic collaboration there. But we have a huge patient population, 40 hospitals, something like that. And we looked at patients over the time of 2014 to 2017. So all the sepsis encounters across our our system. Our patients were about 60 years old, uh, about 53% female. A quarter of them were African-American, had a lot of comorbidities, average comorbidity score of five. And compared to some sepsis cohorts, relatively less sick. So 8% of them were intubated, about 10% mortality in hospitals. So it's a, it's a pretty representative sample, I think, of patients who present to the ED with suspected sepsis.
1: And the study design is that of a retrospective study, obviously. Was there a conscious effort on your part when you were designing this to make it different from the other studies that have been done previously about the timing of an antibiotic administration, or did you want to use your very broad patient base to see if you could duplicate the outcome?
2: Yeah. Yeah. um, That's a great question. It's a little bit of both. I guess I can start by maybe summarizing the current literature of antibiotic, time to antibiotics in sepsis for people who may be unfamiliar. It's probably a, a review for most listeners, but just in case, there's been a lot of studies on time to antibiotics in sepsis, maybe 40 or 50 studies, and the vast majority of these are observational. They vary in terms of population, sepsis syndrome definitions, and some methodological differences. There's quite a bit of variability in the results of these studies the best known one, the most cited one probably, is Kumar study back from 2006. And that study showed a, a, about a 7.5% increase in mortality for every hour of delay after the onset of hypotension. But keep in mind that this was a, a carefully selected population of patients with hospital onset shock, and time zero was defined as the time of shock onset. So I think that that hourly increase is probably extrapolated a little too generously to other populations. Subsequent to that, studies have had mixed results. And ultimately, one meta analysis in 2015 reported no overall association between time to antibiotics and mortality. And then another meta analysis in 2017 did report a strong association. So there's been some back and forth. More recently, in, I think it was 2017, Chris Seymour and his team evaluated the New York State data, where, as you know, there's a a state mandate to protocolize and report sepsis treatment. And this study had rigorous risk adjustment and showed a small effect of time to antibiotics on mortality, but it appeared that the effect probably didn't emerge until about five hours of delay. After that, there was a rapid increase in mortality. And also in this study, kind of similar to other studies, is that the mortality effect was present in the subgroup of patients requiring vasopressors, but not present in the subgroup of patients without shock. So in this sort of landscape of existing literature, we specifically designed our study to address a little bit of a different question. One limitation we think from with the existing studies is they ask the question, do rapid antibiotics improve outcomes for patients with sepsis? So these studies select patients who, in retrospect, ultimately have a diagnosis of sepsis. But we're at the bedside deciding how fast to give antibiotics. We don't have the luxury of knowing who has sepsis and who doesn't. So that's not really the clinically relevant question. The clinically relevant question is actually more like, do antibiotics within one or three or six hours improve outcomes in patients with suspected sepsis or in patients who you would consider treating to those targets? So imagine you were designing a randomized trial comparing early versus conservative antibiotic administration. You couldn't use future information about whether the patient ultimately had sepsis to determine eligibility. You'd have to enroll patients based on the information you had on the front end. So we specifically designed our study to include those patients who ultimately didn't have sepsis but were treated as as sepsis to kind of address the pragmatic and clinically relevant research question.
1: Got it. It's almost like the concept of intention-to-treat when,
2: yeah, yeah,
1: when you have a patient who might have sepsis, you give antibiotics
2: and what happens? Right. Trying to in the in the randomized control trial analogy, trying to avoid sort of post-randomization exclusions. Right. um, Right. I like that a lot.
1: Well, so let's talk about the outcomes. So, what what did you guys find, and were you surprised by that? And what were your takeaway points?
2: Yeah, so we, like I said, conducted a, a retrospective study of 24,093 encounters among adults who had a digital signature of infection, so a combination of culture orders and antibiotics, and concurrent organ dysfunction across 12 emergency departments in our healthcare system. We we conceptualized a total antibiotic delay into two parts, a recognition delay, which was the time from ED triage to the placement of antibiotic order, and the administration delay, the time from an antibiotic order to its infusion. Unlike other observational studies that evaluate time as a continuous variable, which sort of linearizes a nonlinear outcome, we assess delay in terms of discrete time intervals that aligned with currently recommended targets. So the primary findings were two things. One, recognition delay accounted for the majority of the interval from triage to infusion, and that makes sense. In this study, the median recognition delay was 2.7 hours, and the administration delay was 0. 0.6 hours. And the, the big finding was that after adjustment for a pre-specified set of potential confounders, recognition delay was associated with increased mortality, but only for greater than six hours, for delays greater than six hours. And there was also an association between administration delay and mortality for delays greater than 1.5 hours.
1: Well, so those produced some slightly more generous intervals for the providers than previous. So you and I were talking before we started recording, and I was curious about whether the sum of the two... Total time from patient arrival to antibiotic administration was a third variable, and whether, for example, a short recognition time but a long administration time, kicking it over a certain limit would also result in increased mortality. And uh, what did you guys find?
2: Yeah, so so if you add those two up, the the median total delay was about 3.4 hours, and obviously four fifths of that is is recognition delay, and about the same type of findings is a total total delay greater than six hours was associated with increased mortality.
1: Okay, so it sounds like a total time of six hours is the sort of magic window, but in fact most of that time. Is contributed to by the recognition delay, so the two are almost equal.
2: Yes, right. And I, I will point out that the how generalizable this is to other healthcare systems is is a question. I mean, point six hours for for administration delay is is quite fast. If you can imagine, you know, there's a lot of. Steps. There's a process involved between the antibiotic order and actually having it infused at the bedside. At Atrium Health, we've we've spent a lot of quality improvement time in shortening that interval. So we're very good at it, and it's a short interval. There's other studies where that interval has been longer, um, and that may have a greater impact on total delay in other healthcare systems.
1: Point six is an amazing time. I, I do think that- I was, impressed.
2: I was impressed when I saw that, honestly.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think your institution is doing an amazing job and that speaks a lot to your quality improvement process. I think we could all learn from that. This does bring up a couple of extra questions for me about the the, the process as you, you were discussing. So this study collected data from 2014 to 2017. And I was curious, when these patients were being Taken care of, were there protocols in place to encourage timing administration already, or was this sort yeah. of just happening on its own?
2: Yeah, the data collected from this study occurred sort of in the setting of the maturation of our sepsis quality improvement you know, efforts. So it's a cyclical process, rapid improvement kind of thing. So multiple interventions going on during this period, overall pushing towards faster antibiotics and greater recognition of sepsis patients over this time period.
1: And what was the Set up in terms of the sepsis recognition? Was it a team that was overseeing these patients or overseeing this process? Was it a pure EHR, you know, electronic flagging thing? What was driving? It,
2: yeah. Over the time period it was a variety of those things. We had we had sepsis coordinators who would sort of screen patients early on. That phased out during that time period. And then other initiatives came through. There's always education processes. There are electronic health alerts. There are processes, kind of implementation processes to actually get the orders done once they are placed. So lots of different things going on over this time period.
1: Okay. It sounds like you definitely had different processes and checks in place to really encourage people to do this well. And that's, like we just said, that's what your data showed, that people were actually doing a really good job.
2: Yeah. yeah pre, pre-stocking pre the antibiotics in the emergency room was huge to, to decreasing the infusing time. So just a heads up for anybody who wants to get that down. It's a, That's a really kind of straightforward intervention that, that reduced the infusion times pretty quickly or pretty well.
1: Exactly. Okay. So let's, let's discuss a little bit more your findings. So it looks like your finding is that people do have a more generous time window during which to get antibiotics in. Would you agree with that? Would you disagree with that? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, keeping in mind that this is all observational research, but I think the evidence has mounted a bit to start to suggest that current time to antibiotic metrics that Target, super fast, like one hour or even three hours for all patients with suspected sepsis is not strongly evidence-based and if that's true if we can safely withhold antibiotics for up to 6 hours for many of these patients that's a lot of time to allow further workup to either rule in infection or to evaluate other life-threatening etiologies
1: yes it's so true and there's a lot of the pressure in the ed and it's you know it's it's not like each emergency room physician has you know 100% time to each patient so right. so so this probably does make everybody breathe a slight sigh of relief. In your own mind, were you surprised by this? Were you not?
2: I was not all that surprised. I think a a careful evaluation of the existing literature sort of suggests this. When studies report there's an hour to hour association between time to antibiotics and mortality, it's a little misleading because what they're what they've done is made time a continuous variable. And so when you do that, it averages out the big mortality effects of delays like at twelve hours with these small or minimal effects at the early, like zero to five, zero to six hours. And it ends up looking like there's an hour to hour kind of linear effect when really probably the data suggests more that there's sort of a threshold early on between like three and six hours where the harm of delay is, is, is minimal. Now, all of this is sort of still there's still room to individualize and to use your own art i guess of diagnosis because patients who are who are really sick obviously probably have less time to lose. So you need to get antibiotics in faster. Patients who are less sick probably have a little bit longer for you to make that diagnosis. But I think what we showed is if you're going to apply a kind of carte blanche rule that antibiotics need to go in by a certain hour, one and three hours might be a little too aggressive. And something like six hours might be better for kind of a quality check if you're going to look at all patients who have suspected sepsis.
1: Got it. One of the first goals you had was to look at this as a all comers thing. So giving antibiotics to all suspected sepsis patients. So for those patients who eventually wound up not carrying a sepsis diagnosis, did, did your team find any adverse outcomes for them because of aggressive antibiotics administration or, or, or the lack thereof?
2: Yeah. I that's a really important area I think for future study. We didn't specifically look at harm, but it it may be that the mortality benefit is not all that apparent because of either lack of benefit to the patients that didn't ultimately have sepsis or a harm to those patients. And you know what we learned from the aggressive pneumonia antibiotic targets was that these type of quality metrics increase both appropriate and inappropriate treatment, and what we don't know is how harmful is that. There's not a lot of evidence to answer that question. At uh, the last SECM meeting, Sarah Seeley from the Ann Arbor VA presented some reassuring data that antibiotic use didn't increase overall despite accelerating time to antibiotics across the VA system, but there is evidence to suggest that maybe broad-spectrum antibiotic use has increased. There's a recent study, led by Ian Barbash, who used a really cool time series design to show that one measure was associated with 10% increase in broad-spectrum antibiotic use. Certainly, antibiotic use is a big concern for both the patient and public health level, but probably antibiotic stewardship efforts and de-escalation protocols can can mitigate that harm for the most part. What I worry about with these aggressive targets is, is sort of the opportunity cost of a hypervigilant focus on rigid sepsis metrics. This is why our emergency medicine colleagues tend to be more weary of aggressive targets. It's resource intensive, both in terms of personnel and cognitively, so they end up in this, like you were saying, sort of a zero-sum situation. If you have so much effort focused on rigid adherence to aggressive sepsis metrics, what other evidence-based practices are being skimped on? What alternative diagnoses are being missed in our patients when we're pushed to anchor on a sepsis diagnosis? And these types of harms, these sort of unintended consequences or opportunity costs of being too aggressive with sepsis targets... They're really hard to measure, but they they make up an important part of the benefit-harm equation.
1: Yes, and I think it's important for us to try to always ask questions and to reassess, which is what yeah. this study really does. It poses these questions, and I think that's extremely thought-provoking. Let's say that we do have a more generous time window to give antibiotics for sepsis patients. How do we use that time wisely? How can we... Let's say, you know, you're an emergency medicine physician, or let's say you're a hospitalist admitting these patients or an intensivist admitting these patients. Maybe you have two or more, three hours than you thought you had, but how are you going to use that to really figure out whether this patient should get antibiotics or not? Are Are there going to be new technologies or is there a way for us to reconfigure our systems to try to figure this out better?
2: Yeah. I mean, that that's a that's a decent amount of time. We already have some tests that, that can come back pretty quickly. You can see if someone responds to diuresis, for example, and kind of distinguish a little bit but from heart failure versus sepsis. You can get some other diagnostic tests back. Uh, ultimately, the holy grail that we all want is a, a rapid sort of point of care test that rules sepsis in or out so that the uncertainty gets taken out of the equation. I'm pretty sure that even the most cantankerous folks against early antibiotic targets, I'm pretty sure even they agree that it's good and noble to give antibiotics quickly to patients who definitely or almost definitely have sepsis. So I think we really need to push science forward towards the development of a rapid diagnostic kind of point of care test that can identify sepsis early enough to inform these treatment decisions. In the meantime, like you said, I, I think that we just need to get we need to get innovative with our predictive analytics. We need to work on diagnostic tools that are not only accurate, but clinically useful in the ranges of disease probability where there's uncertainty. There's a lot of great teams working on artificial intelligence approaches for sepsis diagnosis. So I, I think we can do this well if we're thoughtful and creative about how we handle diagnostic uncertainty and if we can generate good science to quantify the, the risks and benefits of potential treatments.
1: Sounds good. I, yeah, I, I'm just thinking, you know, it's always good for us to pose questions, to ask ourselves the same questions after a period of time, reassess. So this is, this is good. How has this changed your institution's practice?
2: Well, you know, we're still beholden to the the metrics that are the policies that are out there, but I will say it has opened up a lot of eyes to the importance of, like you said, reevaluating this and rather than just devoting so much quality improvement effort into getting these times down as low as we can to as many people as we can, being a little more thoughtful about the denominator and the, you know, how many false positives are we having and is there harm in that group and how can we be a little more accurate? in our diagnosis. Because I, like I said, I don't think anybody argues that you should get antibiotics quickly once the diagnosis of sepsis is pretty, pretty sure. So we're just trying to be more thoughtful about getting that diagnosis right.
1: Sounds great. You have access to a very large patient population and you've already asked some very thought-provoking questions. What are the next steps for you in terms of this area of study? And what are the other studies that you would like to see people conduct in this area
2: yeah my my top priority like I said which is not my own personal research skill but is is working on on rapid diagnostic testing I think that would that would obviously revolutionize the way that we practice in terms of sepsis so while I'm not personally working on that I am I am very hopeful that the science moves towards that Our lab is working on kind of more innovative diagnostic, techniques, trying to look at kind of risk stratified treatment targets, as opposed to kind of a one size fits all treatment targets and trying to evaluate the types of effects we can see with that approach, a more measured kind of rational approach, rather than blasting everyone with antibiotics, getting the rapid antibiotics to the people that need it. So stay tuned.
1: Yes. It's very interesting. It almost sounds like through research and refinement of our approaches, is almost approximating those good old days when people use the art of medicine. So I am yeah. I, eagerly awaiting to see what happens next with your lab. Thank you so much. Before I wrap this up, were there other thoughts that you had that you wanted to make sure that our listeners walked away with from our podcast conversation?
2: Yeah, I guess I, I do want to reiterate that our our study does – the takeaway from our study is not that we can be lazy about sepsis. Our, our data show that in our patient population, if it took longer than six hours to recognize sepsis or if it took longer than 90 minutes to get antibiotics infused – people died. I mean, mortality went up. So let's not see this as, okay, we can just sleep on sepsis. Let's keep innovating ways to improve sepsis recognition and optimize treatment so that we can get the best outcomes for patients with sepsis and the least harm to the patients that don't. Perfect. I think that
1: is the perfect takeaway message. Do not rest on our laurels. (laughs) Keep on improving, perhaps improve in different ways than trying to get the time as short as possible, but... Keep on, keep on working on this. Well, thank you so much, Dr. My Taylor. Pleasure. This is going to conclude another edition of the Eye critical Care Podcast. And for our team,
0: I'm Ludwig Lin, and uh, appreciate your listening. Take care. Thanks. This podcast is sponsored by BioFire. High acuity patients require time-sensitive, specialized care. As a critical care physician. You need rapid, reliable test results to make informed intervention decisions. The BioFire Film Array System utilizes a syndromic approach, simultaneously testing for different pathogens that can cause similar symptoms, to deliver actionable results in about an hour. BioFire helps you quickly identify specific infectious agents, allowing you to begin targeted treatment sooner. Learn more about solutions from the leader in syndromic testing at BioFireDX.com. Ludwig H. Lynn, M.D., is an intensivist and anesthesiologist at Alta Bates Summit Medical Center in the Bay Area in Northern California and is a consulting professor at Stanford University, where he teaches a seminar on the psychosocial and economic ramifications of critical illness. Dr. Lin did his medical training, anesthesia residency, and critical care medicine fellowship at the University of California, San Francisco. He has served as faculty at both Stanford University as well as the University of California, San Francisco, where he was a professor and the medical director of critical care at San Francisco General Hospital. He has interests in patient family communication as well as education. Being an SCCM podcast host reminds Dr. Lynn of his undergraduate days as a news broadcaster for his college radio station, KZSU. Join or renew your membership with SCCM, the only multi-professional society dedicated exclusively to the advancement of critical care. Contact a customer service representative at 847-827-6888 or visit sccm.org slash membership for more information. The I Critical Care podcast is the copyrighted material of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion or endorsement on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, its officers, volunteers, or members or that of the podcast commercial supporter.